0: Hey everybody, it's Adam from IHP and it's been a while since we've had uh, JC and the IHP staff all together to give you another episode of JC Unplugged. I apologize for that but we're back. Um, you have been busy the last couple of weeks, what, Colombia? then we had Brazil here last week, and then you go to Dominican Republic this weekend, and then China, China, and, then China and then we have a mentorship in between those two, another mentorship. Right? We had Cincinnati before
1: that. So We've been busy. So we've we've, we've, we've uh, put together over a thousand slides in the last three months, working till 2-3 a.m. And uh, six certifications, three levels, Spanish and English. Not easy. Not easy, and not in order either. So. so check out
0: IHPfit.com and you can see all the certifications that we've got going online there. So just like any, just like all the time, let's just dive right into the questions. Let's go. You have no idea what they are, right? Nope
1: you sure you didn't look? No, if I, if I, did, I don't have my glasses even if I look, I don't see it. All
0: right, so question number one, after going through our eight point biomechanical assessment that we do here that's specific to us, how would you determine the ideal depth of a
1: client's squat? Um, the ideal depth of a client's squat is somewhat of a black box. I, I, I thought it was clear before, feet straight, you point it out a little bit, but after, after looking at skeletal structures, after 40 years plus of experience, um, that's becoming a black box. Do you allow, first, do you force feet straight or do you allow them out? How far out? And here's the killer question. Would you allow one foot in, one foot perfect, and one foot out? Because not both pelvises are oriented the same way. We already know this, so what's a natural squat? So that's the big black box. But some of the things that I would look at would be deviations of the knee, medial and lateral from the front. But more importantly, from the side, the depth of the squat is is there to see when the posterior pelvic tilt begins. Especially if you're going to load the squat. Which brings us back to the question, why are you squatting? Most people are squatting for faster running and higher jumping. And we already know that that's not the way to get there. So that's a whole different question. That's a whole different weekend. So basically, knee deviations. If you squat a quarter and your knees are fine, and at um, 90 degrees of knee flexion, things start happening with the knees, we're not going 90 degrees. From the side, if you're, you've got a nice lord, lordotic curve, you know, decent, and you start posterior, uh, posterior tilting on the pelvis at 90 degrees, you're not going parallel. So simple. Those are, those are the big things behind, but again, why squat.
0: It, it is. It's becoming a bigger bigger black box on depth of the squat. And squat period. period. Yeah, squat period. All right, question two. Uh, When so much emphasis is placed on selecting exercises that are backed by research, what place or
1: role does anecdotal evidence have in our industry? First of all, you gotta understand that all research comes from anecdotal evidence. There's no research that's being created from from a vacuum. What are you researching? Well, what you're researching something that somebody else is doing, and you're not sure what the mechanism of action is. Or, this person's doing that, that person's doing this, and the other person's doing another thing, and you want to compare all three. But no research is coming out with a brand new thing that's never been done because, other than that, what are you going to measure other than EMG? And where are you going to get the idea from? So, practical evidence far, far uh, precedes any clinical research. And then, when you're doing clinical research, you've got to take it out of the real world. Control confounding variables, which may be 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. And then take a sterile, uh, a, a, a sterile data point or data points, and then try to inject them back into the world with all the variables that you control, and you're back into the cluster. So, no, I'm not big on, on any any research, any research. I find that the more research we do, the further we get away from the truth. So. is that how you feel? Uh, just kind of related. okay.
0: Just just a strong one. Um, how do you gauge if a client is training too much, maybe overtraining, or not training enough? The overtraining
1: is easy. Before, you know, uh, the, the, the again, research didn't do this, practical practical application did this. How do we know the, the symptoms of overtraining? I don't feel like going to train, but most athletes will go, hey, that they're just being lazy. Then everything hurts, then hey, I signed up for pain. Then I can't sleep, and then upper respiratory infection because of the immune system. How, how, who came up with those from? People were going through those symptoms and somebody said, hey, wait a minute, what comes first? It appears that this is the order and it makes it into everyone. So again, there's no research that says that. So those are the things I go by. I don't do blood tests. I don't check heart rates in the morning. I don't do none of that. None of that. None of that was... That was found later. What came first were, I don't feel like working out. Well, why don't you feel like working out? Now, the dog died then you're depressed. I get it. But if everything is normal and the the person doesn't feel like training, then something is wrong. Maybe they're subclinical. Maybe they're fighting off something. Maybe they didn't sleep well. But if everything is normal, and you can't test it, they're subclinical, but everything seems normal, and you look at the training volume, and it's been rather high, give them some time off. And if he bounces back or she bounces back, then you know what it was. You know, Especially if they have itises. If had, I had you haven't paid attention to the first time, which is like, I don't want to
0: train. And what would, what would indicate to you if they're not training enough? <sighs>
1: um, if they're not training enough, they're probably doing some stupid stuff, getting in trouble, because they have too much energy, you know? So at, when do athletes get in trouble? Off season. In season, nobody gets in trouble. Why? Because they're tired. They're working off. So, you yeah, know, that, that's, that's one thing. But more importantly, um, I haven't gotten there yet. I've never seen anybody that's not training enough. Unless it's obvious, I'm, unless they're like, I'm not doing anything. I'm getting ready for a marathon. I'm not doing anything. I'm training in the gym once a week, and I'm running once a week. How much are you running? Uh, six miles. Yeah, we're not doing that. Could the skill of their sport be suffering if they're not training enough? I mean, there's- okay, it's there's- training, training or practicing. Because if they're practicing enough and they're not training, we got a ton of athletes that do super well like that. They don't go to a gym, and if they go to a gym, they're very, very subpar. And, you know, and, and they go on the court and they crush it. And they crush it. So the question is, what kind of training? If you're not practicing, you're not training, you're not doing enough. Other than that, I think we're training way too much, and if we cut down probably 50% of what we're doing, we're probably beyond optimal strength. That's right. So uh, everything I'm doing for the next five years is pulling back, 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 and seeing at what point, I'm gonna find out what point is not enough because I'm gonna start pulling back on all my athletes and see what happens. What certification do you
0: talk about um, optimal, optimal strength? From the work ethic,
1: from the instructor, we start, okay. we start uh, making the trainer understand that we're training way too much. We have gotten out of hand with everything, with deadlifting, with squat. We've, we've been out of, out of hand for a long time. I remember my good friend and his super coach Martin a uh, deadlifting 415 pounds with a 175, 180 pound MMA guy. And I'm like Martin, and he's, he, that's his opinion. You can never be strong enough, you know. And I'm like, this person's not picking up cars, logs, or houses. He's picking up 170 pounders. I lived it with Tiago Alves. He was deadlifting 400 pounds, had back problems. We brought him back. He was doing 275, 300 for triples. And he's like, Coach, it's too light. I go, Great. It's too light. You're a beast. That's it. You're done. So we've been been overtraining. in the hip thrust, with now 600, 700 pounds, really, I mean, we've just overshot everything. Everything. We're we're competing for gym numbers. And we forgot why the hell we were training. We were training for stuff outside the gym. And we've started. To train a long time ago for stuff inside the gym, and it's just killing people. More hips, more knees, more shoulders, more everything.
0: Maybe we'll hear you talk about some of these things another the day. Um, your thoughts on the future
1: of uh, personal and online, <coughs> and online training? Yeah, this this thing is going to change. I've already seen it change. I've already seen education change. Uh, I left international for 10 years, came back to a different world, man. We got people that don't know. Kid about training with a million followers and coding science and all these these kids are in their 20s and I'm going, who the hell have you trained? And the answer is nobody. And they're, and they're crushing it online. And you know, God bless them. Everybody deserves to make a living. And if they can make it that way, fine. I have no problems. I ain't bitching because now I'm online. And so if that's the world that I came back to, I'll play that game because I ain't ready to retire. I'm not ready to hang it up. And uh, I'll put my, my 40 years experience, my 17 books and all that shit against any youngster today, any one of them. And I know that I'll train them under the ground. So, if what's needed is for me to be an IG guy and YouTuber and everything, I got my boy over here. If he likes all that shit, we're freaking rolling. And all you youngsters, be careful. If you, if you feel some warm air, that's me breathing on your ass. <laughs> I'm calm.
0: That's the unplugged part about JC
1: Yeah. You go, know, okay. Get ready. All right. I can buy IG friends. I can do all that shit. You can't buy 40 years experience. <laughs> you ain't going to get that, baby. Not yet. Not uh,
0: yet. Uh, all right. Uh, two more questions. When working with the youth, what are some of your best strategies to keep them engaged and focused on the training
1: session? My strategy would be different than some of these young guys. Some of these young guys, you know, that are in their 20s, a 14-year-old looks at them and they're like gods. They're gods because I remember being 14 years old and looking at somebody like like Will or, or like, you know, these guys that, are, that have big muscles. I'm like, Jesus, you know, gods. When, I, when they look at me, I'm more like a grandfather. So I can't use that strategy. They can kitty up and head above and they're like, the kids will go. i got to come from a different perspective. i got to come from a hand over the shoulder and drop something on them that the youngsters just don't have. Because when you're older, you pick up that ability to coach. Vince Lombardi coached way different than a younger coach. Just younger. You know, a younger coach can give them a zip-zap. But Vince Lombardi goes in there and, and you know, he gets quiet and he says, what are you going to tell your grandchildren? Because he's old and has grandchildren, he can talk like that. A, a, a young guy can't can't say that. He says that's not care to the same way. So I coach the young kids in terms of what they want, the success that they want, what it means to have success, what it means to work for success, and what it means to to, uh, to dedicate yourself and how that's going to improve your baseball and then your relationship with your parents and how that's gonna make them a better person and make that hip enough where they listen. I've already got an advantage over the parents. I'm a stranger, so they'll listen to me sure. You know, I'm not exactly like, you know, a small guy with glasses. So I'm, I still have enough meat on me where they look at me and go, oh, God, look at this old man. Because I remember being 17 and looking at guys that were 50 Still robust, and you're like, damn, you know, look at this dude. He must have been a monster when he was young. So I know that, and because I know that, I know how to coach that kid. That was me at 14, 15, 16. So it's a different, you know, it's a different thing. So you're coming, you're coming from a life standpoint, 40 years of context. I'm coming like a grandfather, you know, a grandfather rarely gets. Uh, disrespected by a grandchild, where grand, where the children will test their parents. You know, you don't have you know you hear a, a brat call the parents. I hate you, but you just can't even fathom hearing that towards a grandparent because they're holy. You know, <laughs> they're holy. You don't do that, and you know. So I come at it from. I know that I have that, so I use that. It's a different type of coaching, and that's why life coaching for those of you who don't know. Because the Millennials are not going to have the money for three, uh, three days of, 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 of the week of, of, of coaching and personal training, uh, more and more is going to online and more and more is going to uh, life coaching. Life coaching is growing as a separate genre within fitness. It's growing. It's booming. Look up the data. It's there for a Bureau of Statistics um, and uh, Labor Statistics. And it is growing, but it is an old person career path. A 25-year-old can't be a life coach. So the life coaches are between 45 and 60 is that right age. You know. So I go, now when I coach, I coach more from a life coach instead of a technical coach. And that allows me to get into the technique and tactical, and they'll listen. But the way I hook it is that deep, deep Ritz Lombardi stuff. Alright, one last
0: question that um, I just hope that I've been thinking about and I want to get the help from social media. So if you're out there, Facebook, Instagram, um, you know we have a lot of contradicting opinions on a lot of topics. Aster to grass, squat, <coughs> overhead squatting, uh, that's just to name a couple. Would you be open to debating any of your colleagues on those topics, because we do have contradicting opinions on, on at least on those two. There's others, others. so I want to ask social media: Who would you like to see J.C. debate?
1: Well, uh, uh, away, man. I'm a competitor. I, I, you know, I respect everybody, even if I don't agree with them, and even if personally I may not jive with them. You know, I don't want to say not like them, but just not jive with them. You know, it's not the kind of person you would see me out to lunch with. Even that person I respect, because I believe in, in respect, period. But I'm a competitor, so when I speak, like I'm going to beat your ass, you know, I'm going to wipe them, wipe them up, you know. I don't mean that disrespectfully, I mean that like like fighters, you know. Uh, we're friends, and then when the fight promo begins, I'm going to say, yeah, he's my friend, I'm going to beat his ass. Doesn't mean I disrespect the guy, that means I'm ready to engage, so yeah. Anybody, any time, any place. And I know that some of my colleagues have debated, and you know, they all start with a with a nice friendly, oh, I'm not a good debater. Oh no, you're a good debater. I'm not a at debater. Hey, I'm a badass debater. So if you want to debate me on any controversial topic, full squatting, overhead squatting, assessment, anything like that, pack a lunch. It's gonna be a long fucking day. Yeah. Understand that? <laughs> All right. So we got things like
0: Olympic lifting, which we have different opinions on. Overhead squatting, like I said, has to grasp the depth of squats. Completely different opinions here at IHP than what's promoted in the industry, and I for one would enjoy seeing Carlos debates of his colleagues at least on those three topics. So social media, drop us a line at Instagram, drop us a line on Facebook, let us know
1: who you would like to see JC engage in some good friendly debates with. Overhead squat, Olympic lifting, squatting for vertical jumps and linear speed, or lateral speed for that matter, Uh, the use of agility ladders, uh, the use of static flexibility, the use of dynamic flexibility, uh, what is flexibility? Anything else that we do? Oh, bio sure oh, rolling. <laughs> you know? Oh, oh, myofascial release. We can get into that one. Okay, I'm not a big fan of that either. Uh, Massage and lactic acid. If you're if you're debating that, please don't even show up because you're like you're, you're still in the cave. So please come out of the cave and then look at the sunlight. Then choose if you want to debate or not the existence of lactic acid and getting rid of that. Um, and stuff like that. VO2, the importance of VO2, the importance of aerobic base. You know, uh, running just to get a base for everybody.
0: You want to be made all
1: that? Great.
0: All right. We're going to look for your responses and see if we can make something happen. In the meantime, we'll see you guys in a couple of weeks for another JC Unplug. Take care.